My hope this Advent season is that my prayer life would be shaped and ignited by a clear understanding of Jesus, um, a bigger picture of the reality of who Jesus is. And, uh, and so what we're doing, I, I'm, I'm praying that, that your prayer life would also be ignited by that same thing. Um, what we're doing this, uh, this Advent season is we're going to spend uh, some time in Isaiah 9. We looked at Isaiah 9 last week. We're going to look at it again, but we're just going to focus on one of the names that Isaiah gives to the child who would be, who would be born to save us, to give to Jesus. Um, and today we're going to look at Mighty God. And uh, if you weren't here last week, just to warn you, I'm doing something a little different this year too. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to do a little bit of a shorter sermon, hopefully, and then we're going to have some time a few minutes after that where we're going to pray together in response to who he is. Um, so uh, I'll explain a little more when we get there. But listen to God's word as I read from Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 7. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that, uh, that your truth would be the thing that, that shapes us in this moment. We pray that your spirit would be working right now to reveal more of you to us. We pray that you would help us to behold you, to behold Jesus. And we pray, Father, that we, each and every single person in here, would be changed that we would be changed, that we wouldn't walk away the same people that we walked in here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the words that is associated with Christmas, maybe as much as, if not more than any other word, is joy. Have you noticed that? I mean, often we have a lot of our decorations we, we have, we put out, they, they have the name, the word joy on it, or an ornament will say joy, right? Um, we, the songs we sing talk a lot about joy. And, uh, and it, it's no mistake, I mean, that's, that's what Christmas, a lot of Christmas is about joy. I mean, there's so many things associated with Christmas that give us joy, aren't there? I mean, just to name a few. I mean, just when you look at kids, just watching kids experience Christmas brings a little bit of joy. Um, presents bring joy to a lot of us. Um, but there's all sorts of other things. You know, the, the, the traditions we, we um, we do every year, the, the memories that we have bring joy, the time that we spend with people, with family members and with friends, that brings joy, doesn't it? Um, Christmas lights, don't Christmas lights bring joy? Don't you enjoy driving around and seeing the Christmas lights at night? It brings a little bit of joy. Um, the uh, food that we eat, we eat different foods at this time of year, some of us do, and, and that brings a little bit of joy as well. Um, some of us have specific clothes that we pull out at this time of year that brings a little joy. You know, maybe it's that sweater with the dog with the Santa hat on it or something like that. Um, we have all sorts of things at this time of year that, that help us, that give us a little bit of joy. Um, but the problem with all of these things is that the joy that they bring is very fragile. It's very fragile. It, it can easily slip away from us. So this past Wednesday, 
we, uh, our family decided the kids had a half day of school, so we decided to go, um, go uh, get our Christmas tree for the year. We um, tend to, every year, we drive out to Pennsylvania. It's like an hour drive to this Christmas tree farm. We go to the same Christmas tree farm every year, and we cut down a Christmas tree, and we make a whole thing of it. We go to the same place to eat every year, and we go to it. There's a candy store there that everybody loves to go and get candy there. All of this brings joy, right? And so, um, so we're looking forward to a, a Wednesday afternoon full of joy, and, um, and the kids get home from school, and the very first thing, immediately, they're like complaining about having to drive in the car for as far as we're going to have to drive. They're starving. They want to eat. They want to eat right away, and they can't wait to eat. So I, I feel the joy just kind of slipping, <laughs> slipping away, but I, I like grabbed it. I grabbed it, and I held on you know, with white knuckles. I'm holding on to the joy. We get in the car, and we start driving, and everybody's like, you know, we're, we, we put on some of our favorite Christmas music that we haven't listened to in a while, and we're like, we're vibing with the joy, you know, as we're driving down Route 80. And then we're about halfway there. We're like 25 minutes, 30 minutes into the ride, and Kim looks on her phone just to, like, check on the, you know, what's, what's the price of the Christmas trees this year, to look at the website of the place, and it says that they've closed for the season. They were, they were only open for like three days this year for some reason. And, and we came to realize that apparently that there's a Christmas tree shortage. Maybe you guys are probably all aware of this. But, uh, but so they were, they were, they're closed and we're halfway there. We're committed. Like, you know how, you know, like if you're ever driving in the car and the windows are down and you have like a paper in the car and it will like a gust of wind will grab it and it'll just like fly out the window. That's where my joy went. It just went <laughs> right out, right out the window, somewhere on the side of Route 80. Exactly. And, uh, and we're like, what are we going to do? We, we can't turn around. We're committed. We've got to go get our Christmas tree somewhere. And we're, you know, we're planning on going to the candy place and this place to eat. So we, we, we struggle to kind of like really focus hard on like recovering a little bit of our joy, right? And we go when we eat and we go to the candy place and we find another Christmas tree place that's down the road that is open. And we get there. The, the trees aren't quite as big as the ones we were hoping to get. But, you know, we're, we're walking around. We, we've, we've kind of recovered a little bit of our joy. We're walking around at the, 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 the tree farm. But, but again, it's, it's like really cold. And every time we find a tree, somebody is not happy with it. And we can't agree on a tree. And so we're like, my fingers are getting numb. My toes are getting numb. And I'm just like clinging to my joy with every ounce that I can. Like, we're, I'm not going to lose it. I'm not going to lose it. I'm not going to lose it, you know. It's just so fragile, our joy at this time of year. I mean, there's so many sources of it, but it's fragile. And it can easily fly out the window. Um, we can easily, you know, lose our grip on it. We have to hold on to it with like white, a white-knuckled grip. I don't know if you've noticed that yourself. Um, I think this is what a lot of Christmas joy does. It's, it's constantly slipping away from us. Um, when we find our favorite sweaty, sweater and we pull it out and it actually has a hole in it, or the Christmas cookies that we're so excited about, we burn them, you know? Um, all of this Christmas joy is constantly at risk. It's completely at risk. Um, Isaiah 9 reminds us that we shouldn't have to white-knuckle our grip on joy. Um, because what Isaiah 9 reminds us is that there is a joy that is big and strong and won't let us down. Um, right, he says in, in, uh, in verse 3, he says, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, and it's all as a result of this child who would be born this child who would be born, this promised child. And I think it has everything to do with the fact that this child is the mighty God. He is the mighty God. That, that, that is where we will find a joy that, that we don't have to worry about losing, a joy that will sustain us, a joy that, a joy that will fuel us through anything that we are facing this Christmas time. Um, it's all as a result of this child who will be the mighty God, who is the mighty God. And I want to just look at two things briefly this morning about the fact that, that our joy can be increased by beholding the mighty God, and our joy can be increased by benefiting from God's might this Christmas, okay? 
Um, so first of all, our, our joy can be increased by beholding the mighty God. One of the things that this name, mighty God, teaches us is that this child who would be born, Jesus, is divine. He is God himself wrapped in flesh. He is God come down. One of the big differences between us and God is that God can do all sorts of things that we cannot. Um, several times throughout scripture, we are reminded that what is impossible for us is entirely possible for him. He does whatever he pleases. There's nothing that is too big of an obstacle for him to do what he wants. The difference between us and God is that for us, all sorts of things are impossible. For him, nothing is impossible. And that's what we see, even, even as, as the angel appears to Mary, he's like, you know, nothing is impossible with God when he tells her that she's gonna have a child, right? I think one of the things that, uh, that gives us joy is when we see something done that seems impossible. Has that ever happened to you? When you see something that, that seems impossible, um, it, it can bring joy. I mean, if, uh, I think maybe one reason for that is when we see something done that, it, that seems impossible, it surprises us, and surprise is often associated with joy. But uh, if I can kind of explain it this way, I, do you ever, I don't know how many guys like watching magicians. I love watching really good magicians. Um, who are always doing things that seem like they're not possible. And uh, I remember, the, I don't know if you guys know who David Blaine is, but he's a, he's a pretty well-known magician who often did a bunch of TV specials where he'd go out on the street and just do all sorts of really incredible, just plain card tricks with people on the street. And he would do these things, and, and, and like he would, he would like have them pick a card and put it back in the deck, and the next thing you know, the card was like across the street behind a window. You know? And they're like, how does that even happen? And the people's reaction is often one of joy, you know, laughter, shouting. Just amazement, you know, because they're seeing something that's like, that's not possible. And I think in a similar way, um, can you imagine how people reacted to seeing Jesus as he was regularly doing things that were impossible for everyone else, right? Can you imagine how people reacted to seeing Jesus when he healed those who were sick? When, when he came across a man who was blind his entire life, and he gave him sight in a moment. When he came across a man who, was, who had never been able to walk, and he says, get up, pick up, pick up your mat, and, and the guy does. Can you imagine how people responded to that? Yeah. What? There must have been a little bit of joy mixed in with the surprise and the amazement and the wonder and the mystery. Joy. When he gives the, 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 the blind their sight, when he enables people who are lame to walk, when he calms the sea, the storm. Jesus was constantly doing things, just displaying the power and the might of God, showing that he could do what no one else could. And I think one of the things that we need to do if we want to take hold of joy, grow in our experience of joy this Christmas, is we need to spend more time beholding Jesus in all of his power, in all of his might. Just thinking about the fact that he alone can do what we can't even imagine. We can't even imagine what he is, he's capable of. He is so far beyond us in what he can do. For us, there are all sorts of limitations to what we can do and limitations to our lives, and yet there is no limitations for him, none. And so if you want to grow in your ability to experience joy this Christmas, spend some time worshiping God, worshiping Jesus for the fact that he is the mighty God. Um, so joy increases by beholding the mighty God. Joy also increases from benefiting from God's might. Verse three says that joy is increasing. People are rejoicing, right? They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The picture is of soldiers who are dividing the spoil after they've won this incredible victory. And they are joyful, and their joy is spontaneous, and it can't be contained. Why are they so joyful? Why is, this, uh, why is he promising so much joy in verse 3? And the reason he promises joy is because in verse 4, he says that the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. It's a description of the fact that God has won a great victory 
for his people. He has delivered them from, from another, another nation or another people who has been oppressing them, who has been holding them down. He's defeated their enemy. He's triumphed over all that they fear. And so they experience joy. And I, and I think it's, it's really important to notice this reference here. He says, you've broken as on the day of Midian at the end of verse four. Um, you know what he's referencing there? The, the Midianites, the Israelites, when they defeated the Midianites, it's recorded in, in the book of Judges. They defeated the Midianites um, when God raised up this judge named Gideon. You got probably recognized Gideon's name. But uh, Gideon wasn't really all that impressive of a character. Um, you could say, argue, make an argument that he was kind of fearful and, and uh, didn't have a whole lot of self-confidence, and, and yet God chose him and used him to lead his people to defeat their, one of their enemies, the Midianites. And you know how he did it, though? Well, Midian gathered this big army, as big as he could muster, and then what God says, he's like, um, Midian, uh, Gideon, why don't you just take pretty much everybody and send them home? He sends like the entire army home except for just 300 guys. He's left with 300 men to fight an entire nation. And, uh, and, and God uses that, you, you could call it an army of weakness, really. And God uses that weak, inferior army to win the battle, to defeat their enemy. And I think this is important because we need to recognize that when we think about wanting to experience the power of God, when we think about wanting to see the mightiness of Jesus in our lives, what God generally says, the place that we're going to be most likely to see that is in the midst of our weakness. It's in the midst of our weakness. Do we want to see the power of God? Then you need to look for places where you are weak. You need to look for places where you feel helpless, where you feel powerless. And this is really, this is really important. The, the place where we will benefit most in our day-to-day lives from the power of God, from God's might, from the power of Jesus, is in the places where we are most weak. And so do you want to have more joy? Do you want more joy in your life? Well, then spend some time thinking about the places in your life where you feel powerless and lean into them. Say, God, I need you. I need, I need you to show yourself here. I mean, isn't that what Paul said in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12 when he talked about the thorn that was in his flesh and he, and he, and he talked about how he used to, he would boast in his weaknesses, right? In 2 Corinthians 12, he said, I'm gonna boast in my weaknesses because it's in my weakness, that's where I'm gonna see the power of Jesus displayed. So if we want more joy, then we need to look to the places where we are weak. And we need to look for how God wants to show himself in those places. Where are you weak right now? Where are you feeling most helpless right now in your life? Where are you feeling like you're at the end of your rope? Where you don't have the resources to deal with whatever you have to deal with? It's there that you need to look for God. It's there that you need to look for God to show his power not necessarily to just solve your problem, but, to, to, but to, to demonstrate his presence, to demonstrate how he's able to change you, how he's able to use you and your circumstances to show how great he is. And so we need to remember that, yeah, it's, it's, joy comes from benefiting from the might, the power of God, but, but the place where we need to most expect to see that power displayed is in our weakness. We need to look for him in our weakness. But I think the, the most important thing we need to recognize, they're, they're, the most important source of our joy that we need to find is in God's greatest victory that he has won. Um, he talks here of, of a victory that he's, that, that he's going to win for his people in, in Israel. And he won many victory, victories for his people, Israel. But all of those victories were meant to point forward to the most important victory, that he would win, not just for the Israelites, but for all of us who would trust in him. And that is the victory that he has won over our sin. The, the, the name Mighty God is a translation from the Hebrew words El Gabor. El translated as God, and Gabor, which is a name that, that means mighty, it's associated with, with a mighty warrior or a hero. 
And so when, when, he, when Isaiah describes Jesus as the mighty God, he's saying that, that God would come down as a hero, as a warrior who would fight for us and who would win, who would triumph over our enemies, over our greatest enemy. And that is exactly why Jesus was born into this world. He was born into this world to live the life that we're incapable of living, to fight the fight, being tempted to sin himself, but to fight against that temptation and to live a perfectly obedient life and then to die on the cross, to die on the cross to pay for our sin, to pay the penalty for our sin, to die, to to experience the judgment for our sin that we deserve. And in doing that, he has triumphed over the power of sin in our lives the power of our self-centeredness, over the guilt, over the shame of our sin. He's triumphed over it so that we can be set free from all of those things. That, more than anything else, will produce a joy in you that you don't have to work for. It will produce a joy in you that nothing can diminish. This is the problem, though. This is the problem. I, I, I see two types of people um, in our world and in the church and in me even. The, why is it that we don't experience this joy that we should? Why, if God has won this great victory, why don't I experience the joy that I should be experiencing today? Well, one reason is because I don't really think my sin is all that dangerous of an enemy. Um, I don't think it threatens me that much. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think there's a lot of people in our world who, who don't think that sin, their self-centeredness, their tendency to put themselves above others is the most threatening thing in their life. And the consequences of that, they're not worried about the fact that because of their sin, that, that they've been separated from God. And so because of that, they're, they're incapable of seeing Jesus' victory for them. That he had to die to pay for their sin the more we understand how big of an enemy sin is, that the fact that it is the number one enemy of my life, the greater joy I will have at seeing that Jesus has utterly decimated that enemy by dying for me and rising again. But then there's another type of person that, where we, we don't really think that Jesus is victory, that Jesus is all that strong, that he's strong enough because, because we, we tend to carry our guilt and our shame around with us. Um, we have made big mistakes. We have done things we are ourselves are ashamed of and don't want other people to know about. And, and, and we, we just don't feel good about ourselves. And, and, and we live our lives feeling with the weight of that guilt, the weight of that shame. And no matter how many times we're reminded of it, that Jesus died for you to set you completely free, that he has shattered the power of sin over your life, we still live with guilt. We still live with shame. We still feel, live feeling like I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. We need, to, we need to listen to the word of God that says that he, Jesus has come to be the mighty God, to be our hero, to be the one who has shattered the power of sin over our lives, who has broken the power of sin, the condemnation that we deserve. And because of what Jesus has done, we can live knowing that God is on our side, knowing that we can actually be changed and we can live differently, knowing that we can live seeing the work of God, expecting God to do things that we don't expect to do the impossible. Do you believe that Jesus is this mighty? Do you believe that Jesus is this mighty? Because if you do, then your joy will be uncontainable. Um, I was thinking about, you know, what's a picture of, of a place where, where there is just unadulterated joy, like an uncontainable joy. And I, I thought of one, one place is uh, when, a, when a, a sports team wins a championship, whether it's the World Series, the Super Bowl, or something else, what happens? In the locker room, everybody, they cannot contain themselves. They're spraying champagne everywhere, right? They've got loud music playing. They're dancing. They're yelling. They're screaming. Even the, even the old guys who have no rhythm are like up on a table and trying to dance, right? The joy is uncontainable. If we really understand how big our sin is and yet how big Jesus is and how powerful he is and what he has done, as we celebrate this every Sunday as we come together and worship, 
Snack time should be more like that locker room. Why isn't it? Why aren't we spraying the apple juice around? Well, maybe because it's, some of us have to clean it up. That's true. I mean, that's, that's the reason that I thought of. I was like, we'd have to clean it up. But, you know, that's true. I mean, real uncontainable joy can get messy. But, yeah, let's try to, you know, let's not spray any apple juice today. <laughs> but seriously, that's, that's the kind of joy that God invites us to live with. That's the kind of joy he invites us to live with. And that's a joy that we don't have to be like, I got to hold on to this or it's going to fly out the window, right? That's the kind of joy that's going to sustain us even when we find a hole in our favorite sweater, even when we put up the Christmas tree lights and only half of them work, right? Even when we're looking so forward to spending this Christmas and all the great things, but then tragedy strikes and we also have to deal with something that's really heavy and brutal. That is the kind of joy that will sustain us. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the mighty God, as we go to him now and pray. Um, we're going to take just a few minutes and pray together. And uh, as I mentioned last week, there are a lot of us, maybe we, we don't spend a lot of time in a big group praying. And so this might be uncomfortable for some of you. Um, there will be some silence. There will be a few, a few seconds of silence sometimes. Don't panic. It's okay. Just lean into it. Take that time to silently pray. But I'm also inviting you as we pray to pray out loud. Um, and if you pray out loud, pray, um, try to keep it brief so we give time for everybody to pray who wants to and, and to pray loudly so everybody can hear you. But I'm just going to um, lead us through a time of, of corporate prayer now as we respond to Jesus, the mighty God. Let's pray together. Almighty God, there is nothing that compares to your power. My hope this Advent season is that my prayer life would be shaped and ignited by a clear understanding of Jesus, um, a bigger picture of the reality of who Jesus is. And, uh, and so what we're doing, I, I'm, I'm praying that, that your prayer life would also be ignited by that same thing. Um, what we're doing this, uh, this Advent season is we're going to spend... Uh, some time in Isaiah 9. We looked at Isaiah 9 last week. We're going to look at it again, but we're just going to focus on one of the names that Isaiah gives to the child who would be, who would be born to save us, to give to Jesus. Um, and today we're going to look at Mighty God. And uh, if you weren't here last week, just to warn you, I'm doing something a little different this year too. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to do a little bit of a shorter sermon, hopefully, and then we're going to have some time a few minutes after that where we're going to pray together in response to who he is. Um, so uh, I'll explain a little more when we get there. But listen to God's word as I read from Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 7. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that, uh, that your truth would be the thing that, that shapes us in this moment. 
We pray that your spirit would be working right now to reveal more of you to us. We pray that you would help us to behold you, to behold Jesus. And we pray, Father, that we, each and every single person in here, would be changed. That we would be changed, that we wouldn't walk away the same people that we walked in here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the words that is associated with Christmas, maybe as much as, if not more than any other word, is joy. Have you noticed that? I mean, often we have a lot of our decorations we, we have, we put out, they, they have the name, the word joy on it, or an ornament will say joy, right? Um, we, the songs we sing talk a lot about joy. And, uh, and it, it's no mistake, I mean, that's, that's what Christmas, a lot of Christmas is about joy. I mean, there's so many things associated with Christmas that give us joy, aren't there? I mean, just to name a few. I mean, just when you look at kids, just watching kids experience Christmas brings a little bit of joy. Um, presents bring joy to a lot of us. Um, but there's all sorts of other things. You know, the, the, the traditions we, we, um, we do every year, the, the memories that we have bring joy. The time that we spend with people, with family members and with friends, that brings joy, doesn't it? Um, Christmas lights don't Christmas lights bring joy? Don't you enjoy driving around and seeing the Christmas lights at night? It brings a little bit of joy. Um, the uh, food that we eat, we eat different foods at this time of year, some of us do, and, and that brings a little bit of joy as well. Um, some of us have specific clothes that we pull out at this time of year that brings a little joy. You know, maybe it's that sweater with the dog with the Santa hat on it or something like that. Um, we have all sorts of things at this time of year that... that help us, that give us a little bit of joy. Um, but the problem with all of these things is that the joy that they bring is very fragile. It's very fragile. It can easily slip away from us. So this past Wednesday, we, uh, our family decided the kids had a half day of school, so we decided to go, um, go uh, get our Christmas tree for the year. We um, tend to, every year, we drive out to Pennsylvania. It's like an hour drive to this Christmas tree farm. We go to the same Christmas tree farm every year and we cut down a Christmas tree and we make a whole thing of it. We go to the same place to eat every year and we go to it. There's a candy store there that everybody loves to go and get candy there. All of this brings joy, right? And so, um, so we're looking forward to a, a Wednesday afternoon full of joy and, um, and the kids get home from school and the very first thing, immediately, they're like complaining about having to drive in the car for as far as we're going to have to drive. They're starving. They want to eat. They want to eat right away, and they can't wait to eat. So I, I feel the joy just kind of slipping, <laughs> slipping away. But I, I, like, grabbed it. I grabbed it, and I held on, you know, with white knuckles. I'm holding on to the joy. We get in the car, and we start driving, and everybody's like, you know, we're, we, we put on some of our favorite Christmas music that we haven't listened to in a while, and we're like, we're vibing with the joy, you know, as we're driving down Route 80. And then we're about halfway there, we're like 25 minutes, 30 minutes into the ride, and Kim looks on her phone just to like check on the, you know, what's, what's the price of the Christmas trees this year, to look at the website of the place, and it says that they've closed for the season. They were, they were only open for like three days this year for some reason, and, and we came to realize that apparently that there's a Christmas tree shortage, I, maybe you guys are probably all aware of this, but, uh, but so they were, they were, they're closed, and we're halfway there, we're committed, like... You know how, you know, like if you're ever driving in the car and the windows are down and you have like a paper in the car and it will like, a gust of wind will grab it and it'll just like fly out the window? That's where my joy went. It just went <laughs> right out, right out the window, somewhere on the side of Route 80, exactly. And, uh, and we're like, what are we going to do? We, we can't turn around. We're committed. We got to go get our Christmas tree somewhere. And we're, you know, we're planning on going to the candy place and this place to eat. So we, we, we struggle to kind of like really focus hard on like, recovering a little bit of our joy, right? And we go when we eat and we go to the candy place and we find another Christmas tree place that's down the road that is open and we get there. The, the trees aren't quite as big as the ones we were hoping to get, but, you know, we're, we're walking around. We, we've, we've kind of recovered a little bit of our joy. We're walking around the, 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 the tree farm. But, but again, it's, it's like really cold. And every time we find a tree, somebody is not happy with it. And we can't agree on a tree. And so we're like, my fingers are getting numb. My toes are getting numb. And I'm just like clinging to my joy with every ounce that I can. Like, we're, I'm not going to lose it. I'm not going to lose it. I'm not going to lose it, you know. It's just so fragile, our joy at this time of year. I mean, there's so many sources of it, but it's fragile. 
and it can easily fly out the window. Um, we can easily, you know, lose our grip on it. We have to hold onto it with like white, a white-knuckled grip. I don't know if you've noticed that yourself. Um, I think this is what a lot of Christmas joy does. It's, it's constantly slipping away from us. Um, when we find our favorite sweaty, sweater and we pull it out and it actually has a hole in it, or the Christmas cookies that we're so excited about, we burn them, you know? Um, all of this Christmas joy is constantly at risk. It's completely at risk. Um, Isaiah 9 reminds us that we shouldn't have to white-knuckle our grip on joy. Um, because what Isaiah 9 reminds us is that there is a joy that is big and strong and won't let us down. Um, right, he says in, in, uh, in verse three, he says, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, and it's all as a result of this child who would be born. This child who would be born, this promised child, and I think it has everything to do with the fact that this child is the mighty God. He is the mighty God. That, that, that is where we will find a joy that, that we don't have to worry about losing a joy that will sustain us, a joy, that, a joy that will fuel us through anything that we are facing this Christmas time. Um, it's all as a result of this child who will be the mighty God, who is the mighty God. And I want to just look at two things briefly this morning about the fact that, that our joy can be increased by beholding the mighty God and our joy can be increased by benefiting from God's might this Christmas, okay? Um, so first of all, our, our joy can be increased by beholding the mighty God. One of the things that this name, mighty God, teaches us is that this child who would be born, Jesus, is divine. He is God himself wrapped in flesh. He is God come down. One of the big differences between us and God is that God can do all sorts of things that we cannot. Um, several times throughout scripture, we are reminded that what is impossible for us is entirely possible for him. He does whatever he pleases. There's nothing that is too big of an obstacle for him to do what he wants. The difference between us and God is that for us, all sorts of things are impossible. For him, nothing is impossible. And that's what we see, even, even as, as the angel appears to Mary, he's like, you know, nothing is impossible with God when he tells her that she's gonna have a child, right? I think one of the things that, uh, that gives us joy is when we see something done that seems impossible. Has that ever happened to you? When you see something that, that seems impossible, um, it, it can bring joy. I mean, if, uh, I think maybe one reason for that is when we see something done that, that seems impossible, it surprises us, and surprise is often associated with joy. But uh, if I can kind of explain it this way, I, do you ever, I don't know how many guys like watching magicians. I love watching really good magicians. Um, who are always doing things that seem like they're not possible. And uh, I remember, the, I don't know if you guys know who David Blaine is, but he's a, he's a pretty well-known magician who often did a bunch of TV specials where he'd go out on the street and just do all sorts of really incredible, just plain card tricks with people on the street. And he would do these things, and, and, and like he would, he would like have them pick a card and put it back in the deck, and the next thing you know, the card was like across the street behind a window. You know? And they're like, how does that even happen? And the people's reaction is often one of joy, you know, laughter, shouting. Just amazement, you know, because they're seeing something that's like, that's not possible. And I think in a similar way, um, can you imagine how people reacted to seeing Jesus as he was regularly doing things that were impossible for everyone else, right? Can you imagine how people reacted to seeing Jesus when he healed those who were sick? When, when he came across a man who was blind his entire life, and he gave him sight in a moment. When he came across a man who, was, who had never been able to walk, and he says, get up, pick up, pick up your mat. And, and the guy does. Can you imagine how people responded to that? Yeah. What? There must have been a little bit of joy mixed in with the surprise and the amazement and the wonder and the mystery. Joy. 
when he gives the, 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 the blind their sight, when he enables people who are lame to walk, when he calms the sea, the storm. Jesus was constantly doing things, just, just displaying the, the power and the might of God, showing that he could do what no one else could. And I think one of the things that we need to do if we want to take hold of joy, grow in our experience of joy this Christmas, is we need to spend more time beholding Jesus in all of his power, in all of his might. Just thinking about the fact that he alone can do what we can't even imagine. We can't even imagine what he is, he's capable of. He is so far beyond us in what he can do. For us, there are all sorts of limitations to what we can do and limitations to our lives, and yet there is no limitations for him. None. And so if you want to grow in your ability to experience joy this Christmas, spend some time worshiping God, worshiping Jesus for the fact that he is the mighty God. Um, so joy increases by beholding the mighty God. Joy also increases from benefiting from God's might. Verse three says that joy is increasing. People are rejoicing, right? They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The picture is of soldiers who are dividing the spoil after they've won this incredible victory. And they are joyful, and their joy is spontaneous, and it can't be contained. Why are they so joyful? Why is, this, uh, why is he promising so much joy in verse 3? And the reason he promises joy is because in verse 4 he says, the, the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. It's a description of the fact that God has won a great victory for his people. He has delivered them from, from another, another nation or another people who has been oppressing them, who has been holding them down. He's defeated their enemy. He's triumphed over all that they fear. And so they experience joy. And I, and I think it's, it's really important to notice this reference here. He says, you've broken as on the day of Midian at the end of verse four. Um, you know what he's referencing there? The, the Midianites, the Israelites, when they defeated the Midianites, it's recorded in, in the book of Judges. They defeated the Midianites um, when God raised up this judge named Gideon. You got probably recognized Gideon's name. But uh, Gideon wasn't really all that impressive of a character. Um, you could say, argue, make an argument that he was kind of fearful and, and uh, didn't have a whole lot of self-confidence, and, and yet God chose him and used him to lead his people to defeat they're one of their enemies, the Midianites. And you know how he did it, though? Well, Midian gathered this big army, as big as he could muster, and then what God says, he's like, um, Midian, uh, Gideon, why don't you just take pretty much everybody and send them home? He sends, like, the entire army home except for just 300 guys. He's left with 300 men to fight an entire nation. And, uh, and, and God uses that. You, you could call it an army of weakness, really. And God uses that weak, inferior army to win the battle, to defeat their enemy. And I think this is important because we need to recognize that when we think about wanting to experience the power of God, when we think about wanting to see the mightiness of Jesus in our lives, what God generally says, the place that we're gonna be most likely to see that is in the midst of our weakness. It's in the midst of our weakness. Do we want to see the power of God? Then you need to look for places where you are weak. You need to look where places where you feel helpless, where you feel powerless. And this is really, this is really important. The, the place where we will benefit most in our day-to-day -day lives from the power of God, from God's might, from the power of Jesus, is in the places where we are most weak. And so do you want to have more joy? Do you want more joy in your life? Well, then spend some time thinking about the places in your life where you feel powerless and lean into them. <laughs> Say, God, I need you. I need, I need you to show yourself here. I mean, isn't that what Paul said in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12 when he talked about the thorn that was in his flesh and he, and he, and he talked about how he used to, he would boast in his weaknesses, right? 
In 2 Corinthians 12, he said, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses because it's in my weakness, that's where I'm going to see the power of Jesus displayed. So if we want more joy, then we need to look to the places where we are weak. And we need to look for how God wants to show himself in those places. Where are you weak right now? Where are you feeling most helpless right now in your life? Where are you feeling like you're at the end of your rope? Where you don't have the resources to deal with whatever you have to deal with? It's there that you need to look for God. It's there that you need to look for God to show his power. Not necessarily to just solve your problem, but to, to, but to, to demonstrate his presence. To demonstrate how he's able to change you. How he's able to use you and your circumstances to show how great he is. And so we need to remember that, yeah, it's, it's, joy comes from benefiting from the might, the power of God, but, but the place where we need to most expect to see that power displayed is in our weakness. We need to look for him in our weakness. But I think the, the most important thing we need to recognize, they're, they're, the most important source of our joy that we need to find is in God's greatest victory that he has won. Um, he talks here of, of a victory that he's, uh, that he's going to win for his people in, in Israel. And he won many victory, victories for his people, Israel. But all of those victories were meant to point forward to the most important victory that he would win, not just for the Israelites, but for all of us who would trust in him. And that is the victory that he has won over our sin. The, the, the name Mighty God is a translation from the Hebrew words El Gabor. El, translated as God, and Gabor, which is a name that, that means mighty, it's associated with, with a mighty warrior or a hero. And so when, when, he, when Isaiah describes Jesus as the mighty God, he's saying that, that God would come down as a hero, as a warrior who would fight for us and who would win, who would triumph over our enemies, over our greatest enemy. And that is exactly why Jesus was born into this world. He was born into this world to live the life that we're incapable of living, to fight the fight, being tempted to sin himself, but to fight against that temptation and to live a perfectly obedient life and then to die on the cross, to die on the cross, to pay for our sin, to pay the penalty for our sin, to die, to to experience the judgment for our sin that we deserve. And in doing that, he has triumphed over the power of sin in our lives the power of our self-centeredness, over the guilt, over the shame of our sin. He's triumphed over it so that we can be set free from all of those things. That, more than anything else, will produce a joy in you that you don't have to work for. It will produce a joy in you that nothing can diminish. This is the problem, though. This is the problem. I, I, I see two types of people um, in our world and in the church and in me even. The, why is it that we don't experience this joy that we should? Why, if God has won this great victory, why don't I experience the joy that I should be experiencing today? Well, one reason is because I don't really think my sin is all that dangerous of an enemy. Um, I don't think it threatens me that much. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think there's a lot of people in our world who, who don't think that sin, their self-centeredness, their tendency to put themselves above others is the most threatening thing in their life. And the consequences of that, they're not worried about the fact that because of their sin that, that they've been separated from God. And so because of that, they're, they're incapable of seeing Jesus' victory for them. That he had to die to pay for their sin the more we understand how big of an enemy sin is, that the fact that it is the number one enemy of my life, the greater joy I will have at seeing that Jesus has utterly decimated that enemy by dying for me and rising again. But then there's another type of person that, where, where we, we don't really think that Jesus is victory, that Jesus is all that strong, that he's strong enough because, because we, we tend to carry our guilt and our shame around with us. 
Um, we have made big mistakes. We have done things we are, ourselves are ashamed of and don't want other people to know about. And, and, and we, we just don't feel good about ourselves. And, and, and we live our lives feeling with the weight of that guilt, the weight of that shame. And no matter how many times we're reminded of it, that Jesus died for you to set you completely free, that he has shattered the power of sin over your life, we still live with guilt. We still live with shame. We still feel, live feeling like I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. We need, to, we need to listen to the word of God that says that he, Jesus has come to be the mighty God, to be our hero, to be the one who has shattered the power of sin over our lives, who has broken the power of sin, the condemnation that we deserve. And because of what Jesus has done, we can live knowing that God is on our side. knowing that we can actually be changed and we can live differently, knowing that we can live seeing the work of God, expecting God to do things that we don't expect to do the impossible. Do you believe that Jesus is this mighty? Do you believe that Jesus is this mighty? Because if you do, then your joy will be uncontainable. Um, I was thinking about, you know, what's a picture of, of a place where, where there is just unadulterated joy, like an uncontainable joy. And I, I thought of one, one place is uh, when, a, when a, a sports team wins a championship, whether it's the World Series, the Super Bowl, or something else, what happens? In the locker room, everybody, they cannot contain themselves. They're spraying champagne everywhere, right? They've got loud music playing. They're dancing. They're yelling. They're screaming. Even the, even the old guys who have no rhythm are like up on a table and trying to dance, right? The joy is uncontainable. If we really understand how big our sin is and yet how big Jesus is and how powerful he is and what he has done, as we celebrate this every Sunday as we come together and worship, Snack time should be more like that locker room. Why isn't it? Why aren't we spraying the apple juice around? <laughs> well, maybe because it's, some of us have to clean it up. That's true. I mean, that's, that's the reason that I thought of. I was like, we'd have to clean it up. But, you know, that's true. I mean, real uncontainable joy can get messy. But yeah, let's try to, you know, let's not spray any apple juice today. <laughs> but seriously, that's, that's the kind of joy that God invites us to live with. That's the kind of joy he invites us to live with. And that's a joy that we don't have to be like, I gotta hold on to this or it's gonna fly out the window, right? That's the kind of joy that's gonna sustain us even when we find a hole in our favorite sweater even when we put up the Christmas tree lights and only half of them work, right? Even when we're looking so forward to spending this Christmas and all the great things, but then tragedy strikes and we also have to deal with something that's really heavy and brutal. That is the kind of joy that will sustain us. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the mighty God, as we go to him now and pray. Um, we're gonna take just a few minutes and pray together. And... Uh, as I mentioned last week, there are a lot of us, maybe we don't spend a lot of time in a big group praying. And so this might be uncomfortable for some of you. Um, there will be some silence. There will be a few, a few seconds of silence sometimes. Don't panic. It's okay. Just lean into it. Take that time to silently pray. But I'm also inviting you as we pray to pray out loud. Um, and if you pray out loud, pray, um, try to keep it brief so we give time for everybody to pray who wants to and, and to pray loudly so everybody can hear you. But I'm just going to um, lead us through a time of, of corporate prayer now as we respond to Jesus, the mighty God. Let's pray together. Almighty God, there is nothing that compares to your power.